Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today we're joined by Ray Bukowski, Assistant Commissioner of Compliance Enforcement here at DEP. DEP's overall mission, of course, is to protect New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. In order to do that, we also need to be regulators, enforcing laws and rules when people don't obey them. And that's where compliance and enforcement comes in. CNE helps businesses, schools, communities, and homeowners keep the environment clean, safe, enjoyable, and maintained for future generations. So, Ray, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. Good to be here. Ray, tell us, what are some of the major components of compliance and enforcement? How do they fit into the department's overall goals? I've been with the department for almost 25 years, and uh, CNE, I think, discussed a lot with a lot of people within the department, including the commissioner, that CNE kind of becomes like a microcosm of the rest of the department. We have a little piece of just about every program here, maybe outside of uh, natural historic resources, but we actually do work with natural historic resources more often than some people might suspect. So a little bit of everything. To be able to be sort of the reliance to make sure we keep uh, people not just compliant, but also responsible and have a level playing field for all the regulated community users. So what would you identify as kind of your overall goals in CNA? Is it to levy as many fines and cite as many people as possible, or is it something else? It's definitely something else. Uh, it's it's a balance of everything, like I had said before. We need to have a level playing field. What's the point of having environmental regulation or regulations of anything in any facet of life if there isn't uh, some responsibilities to be compliant? There's no point in rules if people don't follow them. I don't want to make it any more complicated than that, but the fact is, is the CNE does a lot more work than just simply keep people compliant or beat people over the head with a stick. There is definitely a stick and carrot aspect to our work. We do a lot of compliance assistance to keep people in compliance. We work proactively with facilities on stewardship programs to go beyond compliance, very interested in resolutions of cases. So my biggest drive right now is case resolutions. It's not as much as just simply putting documents on people to say that you've done something wrong, whether it be a notice of violation or administrative orders. It's more a matter of identifying what the violations were and working with the responsible entities to achieving compliance and actually in a better scenario to go beyond compliance and create an environmental improvement in additional public access or something. In other words, to continuously try to make things better. So that makes a lot of sense, really, because it's certainly better for the environment if people are complying and even going beyond compliance as opposed to just people not complying and polluting and then having to having to write them up and find them or whatever. Mm-hmm. Because the ultimate goal really is a cleaner environment. Yes. You know, historically, and it, is, it still exists today, the, the paradigm across the country, as we work with our counterparts in EPA, we refer to 
addressing a situation is how long it takes to literally address a violation. And addressing that violation, by definition, is literally putting a document on the case. It isn't necessarily resolving. That is bluntly something that's frustrated me for 25 years, is that I want to be able to see it through to truly addressing it, to abate the situation, improve the situation, use other tools at our disposal. Commissioner supports the position that I take is that we should be working to work with facilities or individuals with responsibilities and potentially even liabilities to work to improve the immediate situation or in a bigger picture sense, some of the more regional aspects. So different tools to do that. Like as we mentioned before, we do some compliance assistance and stewardship. We also are working very hard to try to work with some third parties, environmental justice, community collaborative initiative to try to use penalty monies to improve situations through supplemental environmental projects, which uh, are very exciting and interesting, but they're also very difficult to manage. But it's a matter of putting together potential penalty liabilities with also potential projects that could stand to benefit to improve quality of life in a given area or to address a, uh, an environmental situation, which is negative, and turn it into a positive. To give us an example of the supplemental environmental project, what, what kind of what, what are they about? What do they do? How do they work? Very simple ones. Uh, uh, the air pollution program embraces the SEP opportunities very well, and it's also because they're poised to pr- be able to provide penalties to projects in a very, I'd say, I don't want to say easy. It's, none of them are easy because it's it turns into a very complicated negotiation sometimes. But the projects, the project to potential violation nexus is easier because you have a situation where someone may have had excess emissions and you can turn and do a project with a third party to fund electric charging stations, Mm -hmm. which ultimately will reduce emissions for uh, for an area. So we've done other issues where we provided money to diesel retrofit to to also improve immediate air quality in, in a fleet of diesel vehicles. We've also done some situations where we've used penalty monies from the air program. We've actually provided funding to third parties to install wetland vegetation in in a wetland corridor, which there is a benefit to the airshed because of obviously the plant's ability to produce oxygen Mm and other pollutants. However, it also does address water quality issues and wetland issues. So what we're trying to do is, SEPs are not a new concept, they've been around for decades. But the nexus between the violation and the project is, is, is very tight. It's always been very tight. We're working internally within c drafting a new policy right now, working with the Division of Law and the Commissioner's Office to try to consider projects more on a regional basis so we can more easily put monies toward projects that would help certain situations in a given area, whether it would be a overburdened community that we want to just uh, be able to add a park add some clean open space, or put money toward other projects that might be being able to couple with other grant opportunities or out there, such as NIFWIF grants or something of that effect, to do try to improve the situation with a CSO or work on water quality issues through a watershed. So that's the direction we're trying to take. So it's a way kind of to compensate for someone who had violated some of the laws or regulations, and they would put up some money that would be used for one of these projects that would bring an actual benefit as opposed to just money going into the state treasury. Correct. Yeah. So what we try to do is strike a balance between making sure that there is money that is dedicated to treasury, that money is collected, penalties are collected. It Mm -hmm. doesn't negate 
the necessity to pay a penalty, but it can uh, a portion of the money can go to a project such as this, and it can be anything from you know a thousand dollars or a little bit more to hundreds of thousands of dollars, depending on the project and depending on who we're working with in third party. But uh, we try to be as flexible but yet reasonable and responsible as we can be. So it's, it's a balance. Sounds like a win-win balance, though. That's what we're trying to shoot for every single time. That's the, that's the litmus test, is, yeah. is it a win-win? Do you find that most people are committed to complying or do you occasionally run into folks who just are really kind of like, I'm going to do it my way and I don't really care what you guys say? What's the attitude out there? Have you seen a change over the years? They're, like anywhere else in society, there's a mix. I can't sit here and say that you know, 100% that everybody wants to comply. It isn't necessarily true, but I think over the decades, the focus has to shift a little bit in how we approach situations. There still is a minority of the population that is going to try to leverage an opportunity and take advantage of a situation to be more profitable or to do whatever they desire to do. But the vast majority of the regulated community does prefer to comply and also be profitable. And I think that's where we have to come in and we've adapted. I believe CNE has been evolving. As an agency, since we've become an agency, for sure. that matter. But CNE has to continue to evolve that way, that uh, there is an interest in compliance and there is a cost associated with compliance. And the easier we can make it for people to comply practically as well as financially, they're more likely to do so. So we do provide as much compliance assistance as we possibly can because it's cheaper in the long run for all parties. We have to expend less resources to chase people around to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And it becomes cheaper and more profitable for them to do it right the first time as opposed to reinventing the wheel or even supplying uh, funding toward a set. And of course, if people are complying, they're also preventing pollution, really, that would have happened if they weren't complying. So it has that benefit as well. Sure. Yeah, excellent. Now, Ray, you said you've been with DP 25 years. What, what, tell us a little bit about your background and what you must have started right out of school. I did. I grew up in the shore community. I'm a fisherman, surfer, hunter, been outdoors my entire life. And way back in middle school, I wrote some paper that I wanted to be an environmental enforcement officer. So uh, I guess I kind of saw that through. But I, it's I, good because in middle school, I wrote a paper that I wanted to be president of the United States, and I don't think that's going to happen. So you're No, ahead. here you are yeah. talking to me. Instead. Yeah, exactly. Um, I've done much better than that. <laughs> so I started in the air program uh, in the Metropolitan Field Office. Uh, that does no longer, it no longer exists. Mm-hmm. It used to be in West Orange. Spent considerable amount of five years there, and then I transferred to the Central Regional Office, and I worked in Robbinsville, came downtown for a while, ended up in land use enforcement for 10 years, had come back downtown, and then I did a stint in natural historic resources uh, within parks, which gave me a different perspective. Because, you know, being sort of regulated by the rest of the department on a lot of issues gave me a different perspective on, on how to react. I've also been running businesses on the outside where I've been regulated by the department, so I clearly understand what, it's, what it is like to interact in a business sense with the rest of our department. A little bit more perspective, I suppose. And before you came to C&E, you had a job that most people would be very envious of, running Island Beach State Park. Yeah, I, I, if I've been asked, uh, once I've been asked probably 5,000 times why I am here and not still working in Island Beach State Park. And I'll say it's, it sounds very simple at face value, but tip of my hat to our colleagues in Natural Historic Resources, it's probably one of the hardest things I've done. It's very difficult to balance everyone's desires, objectives, emotions, and what they want to do as users of the park, 
you know, the budget constraints that are there and balancing all the different priorities as well as being regulated by the department and having to produce at the same time. So uh, as much as I loved it, and I, I did absolutely love it and um, I'm very close uh, with a lot of the folks who are still there. It was a difficult place. To, it was a difficult job, but I definitely learned a lot. Not that my job now is much easier and certainly a longer commute, but uh, it was it was interesting. And uh, I had people ask me how I could be a surfer and leave working at the beach. And the truth is, in my three years at Island Beach, I think I surfed uh, six times. And in my two and a half years since, I've probably surfed at Island Beach. 50 times. So uh, it becomes an office. It becomes a job. And it's, um, you know, the the people who work in the parks, they love them, but you can't assume that they're also spending all their time recreating. It's it's a tough balance. Especially a park like that, which is so popular and so heavily used and also so sensitive from an environmental standpoint. It's probably the one of the very few places left in the state that is, that are really kind of in its natural state as you would have found it a couple hundred years ago. So it makes it pretty interesting and balancing the different desires, user groups uh, who all have the best intentions, but it's very, not often you can find that you can align everyone's perspective at a place like that because sure. a lot of them are absolutely in conflict. Well, that was probably very good preparation for coming to CNE because you've got a lot of different conflicting priorities and constituencies and everything else. So probably was good prep for coming to CNE. Both ways. I think uh, spending a, a lot of time in CNA prepared me for dealing with some conflicts within NHR, but then being in NHR, gaining that perspective certainly helps me in, in this world. Thinking to uh, you know, the day-in, day-out work that you do, how would you define kind of a really good day at CNE? What are some of the things that uh, really make you go home at the end of the day and say, you know, we really did a good job today. This is a day that uh, we can be proud of what we do. I think that when we have the opportunity, I mean, to effectuate a positive outcome, clearly I keep circling back to, to SEPs and, and or compliance assistance and helping people achieve a goal. Those are absolutely the good days. Not just, you know, there's a lot of talk right now uh, in and around my program about uh, settling cases. For me, it's not just a matter of settling. I mentioned before I came in here today, I've been in a meeting, settlement conference for the last three hours today. It's not about just settling. It's about the resolution. What does that resolution really mean? And whether when you write a document, you assess a penalty, that penalty and the time period and achieving compliance, it's all wrapped together and using those tools, which may be penalty assessments to gain compliance and then a potential resolution. So for me, it is taking some of those cases, big and small, whether we had a document or not, uh, doesn't really matter, but getting them to a resolution at an endpoint to say that we positively affected some of those things. And also, I would think, because Commissioner Martin is always uh, emphasizing that, you know, he wears two hats uh, protecting the environment here in the state of New Jersey, but also creating an environment in which our economy can prosper. And you really come up against that every day kind of in what you do, because uh, what you do, you want to make sure that obviously businesses and others are complying with the regulations, but you're not looking to drive anybody out of business and put people out of work. Absolutely not. But it is also there are the biggest of the big pictures and that everyone's economy is interrelated and the protection of natural resources in, in a state like ours, uh, we all gain or lose based upon compliance or non-compliance with any particular responsible entity. So it's not that we're trying to really hammer down on any one entity, but it's a consideration of the aftermath, the effect on everyone else. So 
water quality, surface water quality issues are going to lead toward impaired water bodies and potential that's going to you know negatively impact our economy, even in the natural and historic resource world, such as our fisheries. If we don't have the water quality, we don't have the fisheries. We don't have the fisheries, we don't have the economy. The shore economy falters or the local bait and tackle shop around one of the lakes uh, up you know, in the Newark watershed. It all interrelates. So I do believe that the responsibility that everyone has is toward each other and for the global economy and the economy of the entire state. And it does all interact. And sometimes when people do leverage their own economic interests at a given site, yeah, they may benefit, but who is losing? Who so the balancing hands? of even, you know, in public accesses in uh, the land use world, I mean, they're vital for public access, vital for local economy of some of the tourist-driven areas, that the economy of those folks is going to be negatively impacted if people don't meet their obligations and abide by the permits that were issued that they did gain from financially by building a project. So I don't ever feel, I don't feel hardly ever, like we're negatively impacting someone, we're going to hurt the economy. It's more that we're going to positively affect the economy for everyone in a region if we do it the right way. And that's important for people to remember how interrelated all of the, these things are hardly ever is it an either or. There's so many factors that go into all of these decisions. And the ripple effects really of any one thing can be almost unanticipated in, in, in how far those ripples can go. Agreed. And then, you know, we can go media by media, considering that I work with basically all of them and realizing how there will be a negative impact to a region or a town or a municipal utility authority because of potential impacts in the waste or water or site remediation world that's going to have on drinking water. And then in turn, the capital investment that a system is going to have to make to address some of those issues to provide clean drinking water for a community is going to have a negative effect on all of those taxpayers. So everything is related and it's not, it, you know, the simple equation is it's not very often you're going to run no. across a simple equation. Yeah, the simple equation is too simplistic yep. to really understand what's going on. Well, is there anything else we haven't covered that uh, you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, that, that's a really wide open question <laughs> to end on. Uh, no, I think I've hit most of it pretty thoroughly. You know, we, we like, as I said, we like to be adaptable. We want to continue to strive to improve what we're doing all the time, not to just do things for routine's sake. You know, we've had some press recently on some resolutions we've had in surface water. It goes to local economy and tourism, uh, where we've worked with multiple agencies and addressed surface water discharges into the Shark River and Neptune and gathered together with Marine Water Monitoring and Monmouth County Health Department, Senator Beck's office, uh, my folks, Public Works in Neptune City, and abated an almost a decade old discharge that wow. had gone unresolved by basically Putting aside the playbook and just getting everybody at the table and say, we're going to do this and we're going to do it right and nobody has to feel the repercussion, but we're going to figure it out. And no more, you know, pointing in different directions about whose responsibility it is, just working together in, in three weeks. With a lot of people's effort to stand on the ground, they found and fixed a discharge and we've taken that paradigm and moved into Belmar and in, in the process of fixing one on that side, which is... If you eliminate those two discharges in the Shark River, it's an incredible gain in terms of water quality, discharge, and the use of Shark River. There's a lot of paddle sports that go on in there and fishing that occurs in the river, and then obviously the discharge, which affects the swimming beaches on the other side of Shark River. So 
Reconnaissance. That's a gain that lasts forever, really. That's a gain that lasts forever. And what's interesting in this case is both of these cases that we're talking about right now, we're not looking at the issuance of a document. No notice of violation. And there's been some criticism of that. But I'm going to say openly that what's the difference? If we can eliminate an enormous source, pathogens and nutrients into the river, and that's an understatement, that's a great thing. And, and I'll take that win. And if we don't have a document to support it, which means we have one less bean to report, so be it. I, I'd rather be able to tell the story of the good work that was done by uh, not only CNE staff, Division of Water Quality and Health Department and Public Works people, the mayor's office. It was just good collaborative efforts to abate a situation. So we kind of call that the find it, fix it model now. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to expand that into other opportunities uh, in communities all over the state. So, Really, the ultimate measure of the success of, of this department and really all environmental uh, agencies uh, in other states and at the national level is, is the air cleaner, is the water cleaner, the land cleaner, are our natural and historic resources better protected than they were? And if, if you can say that, you've done your job. Agreed. Well, Ray, we really appreciate you taking time out of your very busy day to spend some time with us to talk about CNE. We have on the description of this podcast a link to CNE's uh, web presence here on the DEP website and encourage people to check that out. I think all of us can rest easier knowing that Ray and his team are out there making sure that the laws that have been passed and the regulations that have been promulgated are being enforced and that uh, People are, are being held to account uh, when they try and ignore those laws and regulations because those laws and regulations are there for a purpose, and that's to make sure that New Jersey's environment is getting better every single day. So, Ray, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcast at dep.nj.gov. Enjoy the rest of your day.